You're listening to Golf Yeah, your masterclass in the lives, lessons, and aspirations of people who've built successful businesses and rewarding careers based on their love for the game of golf. Whether it's the obstacles they faced, the success they've achieved, or advice they offer, Golf Yeah provides the motivation and blueprint to convert your passion for golf into a full or part-time endeavor. Or maybe you just enjoy hearing stories from people who know a hell of a lot about the game. Either way, let's start exploring the business side of golf with your host, Gordon Andrew. Kate Tempesta is identified on her Urban Golf Academy website as its founder, owner, and president of fun. In fact, you don't have to dig too deeply into her website to believe that she really does enjoy her life's work. And I suspect that the source of that happiness is based on the fact that she's combined two of the things she enjoys most in life. And those would be her love of children and her love for the game of golf, which also seems to be a recipe for her success in business. Kate Tempesta's education and her early career focused on exercise science and fitness. She later transitioned to the educational arena, where she created and taught the movement education program at St. Thomas More Playgroup for 10 years. After becoming an LPGA teaching and club professional, she founded the Urban Golf Academy, located in the heart of New York City. With Kate at the helm, UGA has delivered the joy of golf to at least 1,000 children annually. And most recently, Kate and her team have developed the Birdie Basics and Birdie Basics Pro Boxes, which is a joint curriculum, lecture series, and utility kit that gives parents, teachers, and professional coaches the tools and access to implement UGA's proven methods to turn their children and students into lifelong golfers, and perhaps more importantly, to empower them as individuals. Kate has consistently been recognized by Golf Digest magazine as one of the best women teachers of the game of golf. She's spoken on several panels about growing the game of golf, including the inaugural PGA of America's Junior Golf Summit, as well as the Youth and Family Golf Summit at a recent merchandise PGA show. Additionally, the PGA of Canada invited Kate to take part in their professional development series, offering Canadian PGA members the opportunity to learn some of the best practices of UGA. And these include UGA's trademark birdieisms, which are effective and engaging metaphors that take the complex physical, mental, and emotional concepts of golf and make them both accessible and memorable for children. Kate lives on the Upper West Side of New York City. In her spare time, you can find her kickboxing, swinging a sword, and planning how UGA can positively affect children the world over. Kate believes in leaving each day a little better off than when it started, and I'm confident that hearing what she has to say will brighten your day. So, Kate, welcome to Golf Yeah. Hey, Gordon. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And I have to tell you, after having listened to, reviewed dozens of your Instagram posts, I'm I'm both uh, inspired and and frustrated because those little kids hitting the ball have better swings than I do. (laughs) And they also look like they're having more fun than I do on the golf course. (laughs) That might be true. It might be true. (laughs) At any rate, I thought maybe we could start with, with your backstory in terms of where you grew up and who were what are some of the some of the major influences that shaped your direction and uh, and your love for the game and for kids and and the game of golf sure yeah well i'm a small town girl i grew up in central new york in a town called ithaca where cornell and ithaca college are are living sure. uh, my parents are educators they were retired professors at ithaca college um i grew up playing three sports i grew up 
a very playful and happy connected childhood, catching salamanders and riding bikes and playing catch until the sun went down with my dad in the front yard. Um, but I always had a dream of moving to the big city. So I did so after college. My dad grew up in the city and I had a lot of relatives at the time. So I just wanted a big, big city experience. And I moved to New York right after college. I think my parents are obviously my number one influencers, uh, being educators and coming from that world and, and just always living and breathing academia, hearing them, going to school with them. So they're my number one influencers. I think beyond that, my experiences, I mean, just like children and people, we learn through experience and, and good and bad. And while I wanted to move to the city, and I did so at age 22, what, and I'm 46 now, so I'm celebrating my 24th year here. I think as a young, early 20-something person coming to the big city, while there was a you know big draw and a lot of things that were sexy about it, it also robbed me of feeling like an athlete and sort of feeling that sense of connection that I'd always had growing up. You know, the beauty of a big city is you get all the culture and diversity and texture and art and all of those wonderful things, but you also get a very fast-paced life and a very disconnected, you know, so many people here that I had a hard time sort of finding my tribe, for lack of a better word. And I was also in an industry at the time that was really changing, and that was sports medicine and physical therapy. And I was working in a physical therapy clinic, and it was just really fast-paced. You know, it was very cookie-cutter. Like, people came in, and it's like, if your knee hurt, you did this, these three things with them. And, and I had really come from a facility in Ithaca, my first job out of college, where the physical therapists really took a whole person approach to rehabbing the, the athlete, the individual. And so that's what I took away from my childhood. It's what I took away from my parents, what I took away from my first job. And here I came to the city and it was just like, Hey, get him in, get him out. And it was so ungratifying. And, and at the same time, I lost my sense of purpose around being an athlete. I just started going to the gym and getting on the treadmill and there was no like outlet, you know, to being an athlete. It was just like, okay, I'm going to run five miles. I'm going to lift some weights, but there was no purpose to it. And so, you know, fast forward several years of kind of staying in that industry and turning it into personal training and athletic training and covering injured athletes in different sports. I met the director of a nursery school and that's when my life just changed. It was just one of those defining moments in my life where I walked into this nursery school to help rehab her knee. Again, she's the director of a nursery school and she had hired me to come and she just had a knee replacement. And I, you know, after spending nearly a decade of losing my sense of purpose, not finding my tribe, being in a unrewarding job, but yet a job that I really believed in. I walked through the library and the art room of this preschool and I just found life and I just saw joy and I saw uh, children learning and, and playing and I knew I wanted to be around that. I didn't necessarily know it in the moment that I wanted Mm -hmm. to teach, but I knew I wanted that energy. And so that was really a defining moment for me. Wow, that's that's a great story. Now, did your parents teach uh, education or or what they they were at the collegiate level, correct? Yeah, my mom was the director of teacher. She was the teacher education director at Ithaca College. So she taught teachers how to teach. Um, my father was a, a history professor at Ithaca College, so not, you know, certainly not anywhere near early childhood, but um, he was a big kid himself, so. Okay. Cool. Now, did, did you have siblings? I have one brother. Yep. Okay. Well, what does he do? Uh, he's in human resources. He's in corporate world here in New York City and lives out in Connecticut. He's a couple years older than me. 
Oh, okay. So now, from what I've read, you have a very specific point of view on, on how children learn. I do. Can you explain that and, and how you develop, develop that philosophy? Yeah, I mean, very simply, it came from my years as St. Thomas More Playgroup, and there's a reason why it's called Playgroup, and it's the reason why it's one of the most sought-after preschools in, in New York City. It's, it's a private school on the Upper East Side, just full transparency. You know, it's one of those expensive, fancy preschools, but it's play-based. And again, it's a reason why it's so sought after is because children learn through play in the early years and how important it is and how it develops the whole child, you know, and and Fred Rogers put it perfectly. You know, he said something like play is very serious work of children. It's not just like an activity that they do, but it's how they learn. And I think there's a real dichotomy going on in this a real false dichotomy going on in the educational world right now where, you know, people either think it's like play-based or academic-based, you know, should the early years be playful discovery or should be intentional foundation building? And, you know, the argument goes in circles with each camp sort of accusing the other of missing the mark. But at the same time, my opinion is that academics play and learning are not exclusive, right? Play is the method for teaching learning is the outcome. And it's as simple as that. And so I have built my entire program on that philosophy. Now, is PLAY an acronym? Because I've seen it capitalized. Does that stand for some specific methodology? I'm I'm sure it does in some walks of life. If you talk to Mike Hebron, I'm sure he's got an acronym for PLAY. <laughs> he's got an acronym for everything. But I mean, I literally mean play. You know, you hear a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk in the golf world, like getting out on the course and playing to learn. You got to play to learn. What I mean is really early childhood play. It's imaginative play. It's creative play. It's it's cooperative play. But you structured a whole curriculum. It's not like you just give them a bunch of toys and say, go at it. No. You've got a very structured curriculum. No, I, you know, there's real intention behind it. There's intention behind the props that we use, open-ended materials, there's, there's intention behind the curriculum and the storylines. There's intention behind the birdieisms, the metaphors that we use to teach the fundamentals. You know, from the outside looking in, it might look like, wow, these kids are playing. But it also, if you just really, really observe, the children are learning. They're learning golf. They can, they can show you how they line up to a target. They can show you how they hold the club. They can show you how they posture over the ball and set up. They can show you the length of swing. And they can talk to you through their points of reference and through their language, which you know, again, we've created these birdieisms, which is simply a, a language and visual representations of metaphors and fundamentals of golf. Your point of view is that you're not just teaching golf. You're giving something more fundamental to kids through golf. Oh, sure. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, don't we all want for our children, you know, what do we want at the end of the day? Do we really want our four-year-old to be a Tiger Woods? I mean, unfortunately, there are <laughs> some, yeah, unfortunately, there are some parents out there that but I mean, I think at the end of the day, and I hate to even use this term, but like if you had a gun to your head, it's like, okay, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a happy, healthy, connected child that's going to be part of a community? It's going to, you know, build a sense of empathy around human beings um, and, and really be connected to a, a sense of belonging. You know, do, do I want to give my child that and all of the skills that come with that? Or do I want them to be a professional golfer? And I think at the end of the day, 9.9 out of 10 parents would say, I want that happy, healthy, connected child. So where's the friction? Um, Are there parents or educators who believe that that's a lot of poppycock? There needs to be more rigor or testing or measurement involved? Is that the opposing side? I I mean, I want to stay positive and say it's coming. 
coming around. I mean, I just think it takes more golf professionals more, forget golf. I mean, I think it just takes more educators and more ambassadors of young children and advocates of young children to just speak up and, and educate. I I just think more parents need to be educated and we need to all take a breath in this age of fast paced technology and information overload and just take a breath and kind of step back and, and really think about it. Uh, You know, where are we going? Where are we headed? You know, there's so many great educational psychologists out there that, that, that can prove it with research that what makes a happy connected childhood is not where they go to school. It's not how much money they make. It's not how many activities they're programmed. You know, are they learning Chinese and are they taking soccer and golf and fencing and chess and Mandarin Chinese and like all these things. That's not what makes a child happy. Um, And it's not what, it's not what promotes success in life. And I think we just need to take a step back and kind of open our ears to some people that really know what they're talking about. (laughs) Well, that, that certainly is borne out w- with what we've been seeing in terms of the madness of, you know, all, all people bribing and using all sorts of larcenous tactics to get the kids into prestigious colleges. I mean, that's kind of the end end game of all that silliness. So is is there a school uh, or, or like, for example, does Montessori reflect this sure. teaching? Uh, is that is that the close comes the closest in terms of a system that embodies this? Two systems that are very, very much related that I have drawn upon quite a bit um, and consider the best in the world or a Reggio Emilia approach in Montessori and both out of Italy. They just, they've got it going on when it comes to early childhood education. And, and, you know, and, and, and let me just, let me just follow that by saying there's always a balance, right. Of, you know, Montessori and Reggio Emilia is kind of that like guided discovery, very play-based, which is obviously of huge importance, but there's also direct instruction when it, there needs to be. It, and again, it goes back to this like false sense of dichotomy. It's not one or the other. There's not like direct instruction is the way children learn. And then it's just a free for all and let them play. There has to be a balance. And I think both of those programs, Reggio Emilia and, um, and Montessori approach do that. And that said, there are plenty of Montessori programs out there that call themselves Montessori that are very different. So it's you know, it's, it's, and I can't speak to why that is, but, um, you know, I guess that's such with anything really. So let's talk about your, your, your business, yeah. the Urban Golf Academy. And you, you established that 12 years ago. Uh, so what was the catalyst for you to do that? And, and then what kinds of challenges and or fears did you face at the outset of starting your own business? Sure. So I started playing golf at the age of 30. It was just shy of my 30th. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that was in 2002. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, And it was, you know, along the lines of like losing my sense of purpose around being an athlete and then stepping on a golf course for the first time, really. I mean, like I had played maybe a handful of times as a kid and I hated it. I thought it was boring. And like the first time I went to a driving range, the club head went off and went into a pond. And I was like, yeah, this is dumb. Um, But, you know, I wanted to run and kick and throw and do all the fast sports. And I thought I was boring. But when I was 30, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And this is, of course, after spending years in the city losing my sense of purpose around being an athlete. Um, And I was invited to go play at a municipal course out in Yonkers, New York. And I fell in love with it. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, wow, this is creative. This is, I have to be perseverant. I have to be an athlete. All my functional movement training that I had done and my understanding of body mechanics was coming together. And of course, at the time I was just getting my feet wet teaching children. And I thought, this is a great sport for children. So fast forward five years where I played from 2002 to 2007, I played more golf and, and I'm pretty sure anybody has ever played. Like I would skip work to go play. I'd play 36 holes in the summer every day. I found a coach, really took me under my wing. That's all I wanted to do was play golf. 
I was still teaching at the time. And then my golf coach encouraged me to become a teaching professional. And I fought it for about a year. And then I took the playing ability test, passed. And I approached the director of my nursery school. And I said, what would you think about me starting a golf program? Like, I think this is such a great sport for young children. All of the moments it teaches you, the perseverance, creativity, the fine motor, the gross motor, all of it. And I'm pretty sure I could rock a learning environment right here in a thousand square feet in this school. So she gave me the opportunity to do that. I had eight kids that signed up on a Wednesday and eight kids on a Monday. And that took off. And I did that as a side gig. And then I started reaching out to other schools and I started offering programs in the park. And then it just kind of became viral. And I was very lucky to have had 10 years of, I was very lucky to at that point have had seven years of teaching within a community on the Upper East Side where I was trusted, I was known, kids loved creative movement class. So I was attracting kids that never were going to play golf ever. Their parents didn't play golf. They had no exposure to it, but they thought, wow, Coach Kate is teaching. Let's do this. And I just had to make a decision a couple of years later, like this is really a business model. And I had one foot in the door of teaching my creative movement classes. And I had one foot in the door of starting this urban golf academy. And I took the leap. And fortunately, the net appeared. And I left my job at St. Thomas More Playgroup to pursue full time and start an LLC, the Urban Golf Academy, at which point we you know, we're branching out to more and more schools and becoming the New York City early childhood golf provider. I, you know, I continue the relationships with all of this, the, the St. Thomas More Playgroup community. And so as these kids graduate from pre-K, they go on to all these ongoing schools. And so now we've, we've fortunately become viral enough to have a sustainable business model where year after year we're in, you know, anywhere between 15 and 25 schools. We work with three nonprofits now. We continue our programs in the parks. Um, we have mini camps that we offer in the summer. And then, of course, I spend 12 weeks out at Montauk Downs every summer where I run a larger golf camp for, for young children, as well as older. But the older is really like 10% of my business, maybe not, not even really. That leap had to take for you to know that it was going to work. What did it take? For yeah, me no, how, no, how long did it take you oh. to, to realize that this is actually going to be successful? Oh. That's a good question. I mean, it was pretty much it, you know, I guess it defines, it depends on what your, your vision of success is. You know, it was, it was, I was I making a lot of money my first year? No, but I had, I had planned accordingly. I was given a little bit of seed money to start the program. So I had a little bit of a security net. And ultimately at the end of the day, I think, you know, I've always walked through the fire. Like I, ever since I was born, I've always, my, my mom and dad say, you know, you always just like jump into the fire and you always come out on the other side. And I think I've had enough of those experiences built up and I'm somebody that truly lives by my heart. Like if it doesn't feel right in my heart, I don't do it. And so I think there's a lot to be said for what comes from the heart goes to the heart. And when I, when I saw the faces of the children and when I saw other coaches responding to the program and parents responding to the program, I knew I had something. And so was I making a lot of money in the beginning? No. But was I successful in the, the amounts of programs that I was running? Yes. And so from there, it, you know, I'd say when we formed an LLC, we stopped, you know, my business partner at the time, we, we joked that we were playing business for the first year. And then when we formed the LLC and we went down to city clerk's office to get that piece of paper, we were like, oh my gosh, we're not playing anymore. Like, <laughs> This is it. Yeah, that's great. So you're you burned the boats. I mean, you weren't. You don't. It sounds like you don't do anything halfway once you make no. a decision. You jump in. Yeah. So, totally. but but what you UGA is not just for kids. You you also teach adults. Can you give me a quick inventory of the services or the 
you know, what, yeah. what happens there? So, I mean, while we do offer adult lessons from time to time, I'd say I've, I've really backed off of that the last few years. And, that, and that's simply because, you know, we can do anything. We can't do everything. And my laser light focus is young children. It's really giving children ages three to six, three to seven, you know, we'll talk about that maybe in another question, but it's really giving young children a solid experience and introduction to the game. And that that just has to be my laser light focus. So we've done some mom's groups in the past and I teach some private lessons over the summer at Montauk Downs, but I'm really, really, really focused on the little ones. That is, that is my true passion. So you had UGA yeah. uh, and then a few years ago, uh, yep. Maybe a couple of years ago, you, you established Birdie Basics. So can you talk about that and the business model? Sure. And and I'm curious to know, is it is the curriculum just limited to three to six-year-olds? Is, is it for older kids as well? I, I'm curious. So Birdie, the mascot, came around in 2011. We had a great branding company that took Urban Golf Academy and sat down with us and listened to our mission, vision, and values and came up with a couple of different suggestions for mascots. And Birdie just immediately flew to the top, no pun intended. And over time, what was at the time version 1.0 of the curriculum, which was me writing out all of the games and taking from my head what I've done over the years, and turning it into a curriculum for my coaches, what then ended up happening over the years of 2011 to 17 was really creating more of the birdie mascot in so many different iterations and writing stories about what birdie was up to and creating a story-based curriculum for these young children and more and more characters. If you see the library of characters of birdie, it's just priceless. I mean, she should have a TV show. And so we you know, really strengthen the curriculum. And now it was always one of my dreams to take all the props that I had used for so many years and create this prop kit. And so the Birdie Basics is essentially a turnkey program for any golf professional, any sports camp or parent, if they want to go out and teach their child, we give them the same tools. We give them the branding, the mascot of Birdie, the storylines, the video support, um, I do in-person trainings. There's We give you everything in this membership. It's basically a licensing agreement where you know you license Birdie and you have the ability to run the same programming that we have here in New York City. Now, the reason we bill it for three to six-year-olds, it, it does, I mean, I've, I've got a library of Birdieisms that I use with women. I use with men. I use with adults. Um, and I use with teenagers and older kids that just, you know, delve a little bit deeper into more technical and technical terms of golf. But I'm, you know, I'm constantly reminded, I mean, I teach a group on Wednesdays of seven to 10 year olds. And yesterday in the last 15 minutes of the lesson, I asked them what they wanted to do because I always give them a little bit of free choice. They wanted to take the birdie props and create a putting game. And it was all story-based. They made up their own storylines. It was about parking birdie's car. And they built, they built a garage out of the props that I used with the three-year-olds. And at the end of the day, it's just a constant reminder of how children want to play and how they learn through it. And it's such a powerful modality. You know, right now we're really billing it as 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 a, a three to seven, three to seven year old program. Um, but that said, you're absolutely right; it could go way beyond that. And and it's and I believe it casts a much wider net. And I say this all the time: like, how many little Jordan Spieths or Tiger Woods come to your golf facility? Like, maybe maybe one or two, right? But like, there's so many children out there that if we take a different approach, if we take a more nurturing and can cast a wider net with a more playful approach, it's going to draw more children into the game. But if we're going to sit there and try to lecture them on grip, stance, aim, and posture, it's not going to work. Children don't want to hear that. 
But if we set up a game that teaches all of that and tells a story and allows children to play and be fundamentally who they are and really create that space for them, they're going to want to come back and they're going to want to come back and they're going to come back. And as they come back, their physical skills are going to develop. They're going to feel a sense of empowerment. And before you know it, you've turned them into a golfer. And I think that's a great thing. At the very least, what it does, I think it plants a seed. Even if, even if there's a big gap between when they're little kids and they take this program and then maybe they don't, they don't have any interest in golf until they're teenagers or young adults, it's established an impression of the game that's very different from what I think the general perception of the public is about it being just for rich white guys, you know? That Spot on. So, so I think it's really, it, it's valuable in that respect also. Spot on. So, yep. I mean, I thought it was boring as a kid. Yeah. Right? So you mentioned that it's a membership model. It's not a franchise. It's, it's not a franchise. We're considering going down that route for sort of larger partnerships, larger organizational partnerships. But for right now, we've got 55 members, all golf professionals at facilities that are that have bought into the membership and you know we'll, we'll th- we're thinking about a franchise but again it's for a larger partnership what we want to see is we want to see a birdie basics program in every single golf facility that works with juniors we want no more three to seven year olds sitting on the sidelines waiting their turns until they're seven years old because the club doesn't have any programming for them i mean it's just it's it, it, it's to me it's a, a no-brainer yeah now do you own all the intellectual property around the birdie yeah. concept yeah. And all, all stuff yeah and, and where do you get the props um some of them are manufactured uh you know some of them we purchase from you know sporting good companies and then so we select some of those and then uh, many of the props are created by my own design team so um i have my own creative design team that that makes these very special whether, they, whether they're helping with alignment or these game boards and game pieces that keep the children active in the story um, and active within each lesson. Of course, the birdieisms are all designed by my creative team, and then we just produce them. You know, we get them printed. But there's just this, you know, an, a very intentionally selected bunch of props that are put into this kit. And then, of course, you get all the storylines and then the online support and video support and, mar- and marketing support. You get, you get a marketing video and a flyer and... Um, Mari, who's my business partner in all of this, she is the, uh, you know, the wizard behind the curtain that deals with all marketing efforts. <laughs> yeah. Now, do most or, or any of the parents who enroll their kids in UGA play golf themselves? Do you, do you find that to be the case? Yeah, it's a mixture. Um, you know, when we, we so the St. Thomas More Playgroup community, as an example, like right now we have a class going on of 13, three-year-olds, three and four-year-olds. I'd say probably half the parents play and the other half know this program to be a very early childhood centric, you know, valuable program where, again, when you when you go back to it at the end of the day, what is, you know, parents don't put their kids in soccer because they think they're going to be a professional soccer player. They think that, hey, here's an opportunity for my child to develop some physical skills, develop some social skills um, you know, in the whole nine yards. And, and so we get a lot of parents, same thing. Like they have seen the program, they've heard about it. It's, it's a nurturing early childhood centric program. And then we get a handful of parents that, you know, want them to be Tiger Woods and do play golf. So <laughs> <laughs> now, do, you, do you ever have the opposite happen where parents take up the game as a result of having their kids oh. in the program? hundred percent, which is why a couple of years ago we started a mom's, we started, we called it, it was a terrible name. We called it Dirty Birdies and it was for moms. <laughs> it was really fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a big hit, but that was also at the time where I realized, hey, I can't do everything. You know, I can't, I have to really focus here. So uh, with the limited amount of time I had, I just 
stop that. But yeah, we've had a, I've had a lot of parents say, you know, I guess Stella's going to be playing golf. I guess I should learn golf. Yeah, that's great. So here's a sensitive question because I know you have friends uh, at, at high levels who are associated with these organizations, but yeah. can and should the PGA and USGA be doing more to, to grow the next generation of golfers and or to grow the interest among women in the sport? Well, I hear a lot of initiatives right now. I mean, there's a whole initiative about inviting her to the golf course, right? Um, and I like to push the envelope and say, well, what about inviting more children? So I think that we could all do a better job of getting children more engaged. I, I want to stay positive, but yes, I do. I absolutely think both LPGA and PGA and USGA could be doing more. And, and, and of course, I'm of full transparency. I'm speaking through my lens, which is early, early childhood. So I know that USGA has the LPGA girls golf program. I know that, you know, PGA has their junior league and all, like a, a lot of initiatives, but I want to see more substantial learning opportunities, coaching opportunities for this three to seven, which is a very specialized, I think it's a very specialized coaching field that I think could really move the needle. And so I want to see, you know, I've heard about broad strokes of, how we develop young children, but I want it to go way deeper. And I think there's an incredible opportunity. So I'm never going to stop until that happens. Yeah. Do you think the public in general uh, understands the importance of early childhood education? I know a lot of lip services paid and there's certainly plenty of research out there, but what do you find to be the consensus on, on that? I, I, I think there still continues to be a lack of awareness. And I think there, you know, I read, I read a 40 page research paper the other day about there's so much more, there's so many more initiatives outside the golf world that are really pushing for early childhood learning and the val and they're, they're placing value on it. But of course, we're talking about bridging the gap between that and golf. And I think the golf industry really needs to open up their ears and start listening to that. I think I'm always going to be of cut from the cloth where there could be more and more awareness around it. Let's switch gears a little bit. You are recognized as one of the top women golf instructors in the country, which, which is even more amazing based on the fact you didn't start to play the game until you were 30. So are most of your students or adult students women? And, and do you think women are more comfortable having a woman golf instructor? You know, I don't teach enough adults to really have a perspective on that, quite honestly. Um, you know, I mean, I think there's probably some truth in that. But at the end of the day, I think there's some phenomenal men, male instructors out there. And, you know, I, I can talk about my birdie membership alone. The vast majority of my members are males and they're some of the most, they're just some of the most solid young instructors to look out for. I mean, I've got so many like young 20, mid 20, late 20 something men teaching these young kids and rocking it. And, and I know that they're also going off and teaching women and I see their social media posts and they're just, they're crushing it. So I just, I think uh, more and more you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have enough of a perspective on it. Okay. So how often do you get to play and, and where do you play? I play at Montauk Downs in the summer. I play the majority of my golf. Uh, when I start going out there, I'll start going out there in a couple of weeks. So really like May through November, I get to get out on the course. This year's a little different. I'm 31 weeks pregnant. So yeah, I that's great. Don't, Congratulations. don't think I'll be playing a lot of golf this summer. So I'll be looking forward to getting Charlie out there in maybe 2021. Um, or at least getting him a little golf cart baby seat. So, <laughs> so do you have a name? Is that the you have the names picked out already? Charlie. Charlie's okay. after my grandfather. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I you know I get to play. I knew that when I became an LPGA teaching professional, I knew that I was going to be giving up a lot of my playing time, and that was my choice. And I I enjoy teaching the game so so much, and I. 
I enjoy playing it too, but back to sort of the whole person approach and how I take that when I'm teaching, I like to be a whole person myself. And so if I'm teaching for 60 hours a week and then going and playing another, you know, four hours in a round of golf, I also want to be cooking. I also want to be getting my toes in the sand and surfing and swimming. And I don't want to just live my life on a golf course. I want to experience it all. So were you ever good enough to, that you considered joining the LPGA no, tour? No, no. No, I mean, I, I I played in a lot of LPGA teaching club professional events early on um, and got my butt kicked. And it was the best thing ever because it just taught me so much. You know, I'm much better now than I ever was because I have some of my greatest influencers in the golf world being Lynn and Pia and really teaching me the value of essential playing skills beyond the technical, which is precisely how I've always taught children and, 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 and taking the approach to when I was an athletic trainer, it's like, Hey, let's look at the whole person, right? You're not just, you're not just a basketball player with a torn MCL. You are a whole person. And how do I motivate you? And what are the essential rehab skills and playing skills I need to get you working on? And, and, and that's what Lynn and Pia inspired in me. And so when I became an LPG professional, started getting my butt kicked in these tournaments and, and started you know, understanding more about what they did and taking classes with them and reading on them, I, I started implementing that into my own life. And it was a huge game changer for me. So I, you know, I take to the game so much differently now, and I have so much more fun with it. And I practice my essential playing skills. And it just is a better result. Are you familiar with was it Fred Shoemaker? Are yeah, you, are yeah. You, are you familiar? What I forget what it's called, essential golf or? Um, but anyway, yeah. it, it sounds similar to his his school of thought in terms of how to approach yeah. the game. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a selfish question because I'm always tinkering with my swing because I, I still stink at the game. But yeah. is there is there a common swing problem that you are most common swing problem that you're running into with most golfers at all levels? I think that on the heels of what I just said, you know, I, I'm a big believer in mindset and semantics, semantics that as an instructor or a coach talks to their student about or whether it's the semantics in your own head. I, I like to see golf swings as opportunities, right? Not There's not a problem. It's not a fix. I would love to see more golfers having more of an awareness of what Lynn and Pia and Fred Shoemaker and all of those great people out there talking about things like these essential playing skills. You know, we're not, we're not just golfers. We're human beings playing this game. And I'm a firm believer. And when you tie in that mind-body connection, you're going to play better. And so I think the vast majority of golfers probably come at it from, what am I doing wrong? What's the technical problem in my swing as opposed to, hey, uh, what are the opportunities here and how do I step away from the tactical and the technical and really think about things like what's my balance and my tempo? What's my tension of the day? What's my, what am I thinking about when I'm on the tee box? Am I thinking about, boy, I shanked it into the water on that last round or am I really focusing on? And I, I mean, that dictates motion. And as somebody that studied kinesiology and physiology and the body and mechanics, I'm just a firm believer in that. It's not like, oh, you know, you're not getting enough wrist hinge. And there's, there's not, there's, there's value in all of that. Again, it goes back to like direct instruction and guided, guided discovery. When there's a balance of those two things, I think that's when we learn best. It's not like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just not a track man, technical, tactical person. I think it always needs to be combined. And I'm a very big believer in holistic approaches to learning. Yeah. Let me, I'm not trying to drag you into the, the political controversy here, but I, I wondered if you had a point of view on, on Augusta National's decision to host a tournament, you know, before the Masters for for women amateurs rather than a, make it a bona fide LPGA event. Did that bother you? 
You know, it, it, it's, I don't have an opinion on it. I really don't. I think it's awesome. And speaking of Augusta and, and golf for women, I, I think it's way cooler. Or what's more on my radar is the, is the drive chip putt. The fact that they give children an opportunity right. to get onto that course is just, just amazing. Yeah. So, you know, again, that's my lens of being with children. Okay. Another example of me watching kids hit the ball better than I, yeah. than I ever will. At right. any rate, right. I had to turn it off because it just was depressing <laughs> me. Totally, so, totally. so what, what's on your bucket list of things that you'd like to accomplish in the next few years? Either now I know you have Charlie on the way, um, so yeah. I, know, I, I, I can see that's on your personal list. But I wondered if you have any other items you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly balancing uh, balancing personal and professional life coming up here soon, which I plan on doing. I, I mean, selfishly, I'd love to see every golf facility in the world having a program for three to six year olds, and whether that's birdie basics or just something that's like minded and very early childhood centric, offering children a space and a place to be who they fundamentally are. That's what I want to see. That's on my bucket list. Is just continue to chip away at that. I'd love to see birdie fly in other early childhood sports. The philosophy, the methodology, the branding could be a part of soccer. It could be part of baseball. It could be part of every single sport. You know, I think that there's a real lack of understanding how important all of these things, imagination and play, creativity, connection. There's a real lack of that going on in preschool age sports, early childhood sports before the ages of eight. And I think birdie could be translated into all of those sports. I'd love to write a book. I will write a book. I will write a series and it will be a children's book. And I'm sure Charlie will be a great muse to me. I mean, we've already written 52 weeks of curriculum through story. Yeah. And so it'd be pretty easy to just, you know, really lock myself in a room for three months and just put it all together. Sure. Um, but that's, that's definitely on the bucket list. I, I have a question. I was at the PGA show in January and, and there, I, there were at least three or four companies that make kid-based doodads, you know, and, yeah. and I just wondered if you've been approached by any of those companies to kind of combine, because yours is more of a strategic educational approach. You're not, you're not into just selling, you know, plastic clubs and, and things to, to facilitate yeah. the program. Have you ever been approached to combine with one of those companies or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, I mean, and all those companies are great and they're all effective tools, right, for teaching young children. However, if you don't have the methodology and the curriculum behind it and the driving force, you know, I mean, I, whether you're using short golf or a snag club, you could, or, or swinging a broomstick or swinging a littlest golfer club, which are all great in their own right, right? But if you don't have the methodology and the coaching behind it, it's just, it's another piece of plastic equipment, yeah, right? Yeah. Same thing with adult training aids and tools and, and all that. Yeah. Hank Haney doesn't want to hear that. Um, so who, other than your parents, who, who, or what have been your sources of personal inspiration over the years? And I wondered if you had any, you know, like a Jonathan Kozel who wrote a lot of books on education. Is there any individual like that that's, that you've gravitated toward? Yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost, the children, they're, they're always my daily inspiration. And whenever I'm having a, an off day, my, my better half always says to me, go be with your people. That The people are the children and they have forever and always will be my continuous source of inspiration, like really tuning into what they need. Beyond that, yeah, there's some great educators out there. I love Dr. Ed Howell. He's a educational psychologist at Harvard that, that does a lot in the world of ADHD, but he's also very, very, very well-versed and researched in the field of connection and play and how valuable that is in a child's life. And I've heard him speak. I've read all of his books. 
Um, you know, I follow all of his podcasts. As far as the golf world, I mean, again, Lynn and Pia are a huge source of inspiration to me. But I guess the more recent in the last like six to eight years is a woman named Brene Brown. And she talks all about vulnerability and daring greatly. And I, you know, I think there's, I'm a big believer and there's a real loss of emotional intelligence right now going on in the educational world. And Brene Brown talks all about the importance of, you know, teaching children that vulnerability is strength and courage is, courage is, is being vulnerable. And there's, again, it's not a false sense of dichotomy. It's like, oh, you can't be vulnerable. You're weak. No, vulnerability is strong. And the more we can teach children that. So she's been a huge inspiration to me. All of my colleagues through the St. Thomas More Playgroup community. I mean, Nan Godreau, the director has always been a source of inspiration, even though I haven't talked to her in you know, I haven't talked to her in nine years since I've been out of there, but she every day is in the back of my head and how she ran her operation and how she nurtured her, her teachers and created a culture and an ethos within her business to really um, tune into children and what they need. Yeah. So, uh, By the way, I'll put sources, I'll, I'll put links to those sources on the show notes uh, cool. section of the website. And, and I would encourage uh, Golfia listeners to, uh, to check out your Instagram um, spend an hour there and listen to some of your interviews with kids, which which I've, are really hilarious. And some of these kids are really funny and they're really sweet and genuine. And uh, it, it is fun to, you know, I express my frustration at seeing such great, they're having such great fun and, and athletic ability. But really, yeah. the kids are just so, so great to, to listen yeah. to them. Yeah, they um, are. So on your uh, resume, you have kickboxing and swinging the sword uh, as in your bio as activities. Is that long sword? What? Yeah. It's, um, so I have an instructor that I follow. Her name is Alaria Montagnani and she's from Italy and she's a trained black belt and many, like many different versions of sword fighting. And she's created this just beautiful format with a long sword. And the moment from the moment I walked in there, I felt like everything I loved about her format of kickboxing and sword fighting in a different class is everything I love about golf, the perseverance, because it's a choreographed class and you really have to be, I mean, you're vulnerable when you're swinging a golf club up on the first tee and you're playing with people you don't know, you're vulnerable, yeah. right? Yeah. And then how you handle yourself on the golf course and all of those moments in between. It's the same thing when you're in a group fitness class with this kickboxing and you're choreographed and you're the one looking like the dork in the back and like not getting the routines down in addition to all the physical beauty and the movements associated with it, there's that vulnerability and the perseverance and the creativity and the mindset and allowing yourself to sort of lean into the experience of golf and the sword fighting and this kickboxing in these formats. And so I've never felt more of an athlete than being either playing golf or swinging a sword or in this shadow box choreographed class. Yeah. Well, listen, having, having taken long sword for about a year and, I, yeah. and having purchased all the equipment, this is oh, me. Cool. I will tell you that I'd much be, much rather be standing on the first tee than, than in, <laughs> because what I realized is there are other people with swords in their hands and they can hurt you even with all that equipment and the mask and everything else. Yep. So all that yep. stuff's hanging on the wall and it's going to stay there because <laughs> I had enough of it. At, at any That's rate. funny. Do you have any, any, any of the less combative hob, hobbies that you, that you are interested in? Oh, sure. No, I love uh, cooking. Cooking is oh, my okay. passion. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, you got a knife in your hand, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> combative with a tomato, maybe. <laughs> Here's my last question. Do you have any words of advice for someone who's considering starting their own golf-related business or service? Yeah, back to one of my personal inspirations. Read everything about Brene Brown and watch her new Netflix series. It's all about daring greatly and you got to be in it. You got to be in the arena, right? It's the Teddy Roosevelt quote. You got to be in the arena. You got to fall down. You got to get marred and scarred and you got to get back up and try it again. And, and that failure is everything. So 
dare greatly, be vulnerable, ask for help, surround yourself with people way smarter than you and, and take care of the people that take care of you. And what comes from the heart goes to the heart. That's great advice, Kate. And I really appreciate your being on, on the show today. And uh, I wish you best of luck. Thanks so much, Gordon. I loved being here. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Yeah, featuring another success story from the business side of golf. Maybe it's time to get more serious about making golf the center of your life, not just the highlight of your weekend. Head over to GolfYeah.com for more great content, including show notes, testimonials, and links to valuable resources. That's G-O-L-F-Y-E-A-H.com.